Hi everyone, welcome to another video. Today I have a very very special guest with me, Swapnil. He graduated from IIT Bombay in 2002, then joined IMA. He brings together plethora of experiences, information and lot of knowledge about blockchain technology. In this video, we discuss majorly on different consensus mechanism, how they compare with each other and the proof of trust consensus mechanism, how is it better or worse than other consensus mechanisms which are there in the industry. We also looked at the future of blockchain technologies you will love this video we have tried to keep it very simple so that everyone can understand it so like the video subscribe to our channel and let's get started you know my background broadly uh, 2002 iit bombay 2004 IMA. Uh, then worked with BCG for a couple of years, financial services largely. Then did my own startup with three other batchmates from IMA. One of them from also IITB. Sold that to a financial services company. Ran their asset management for five years. Then worked with a quant hedge fund for about four years. And ASCII was started in 2019 as a democratization of investing thought process. Uh, smart beta originally and then blockchain. That's the journey in a nutshell. First of all, I am super excited to have you today because there are multiple reasons like you in consulting you were from the same college you are working in the same domain and i'm a little bit anxious or nervous you can say because you have already <laughs> you have already published a consensus mechanism which i even uh, feel difficult to understand uh, you are at a position which i look up to <laughs> no not at all so this is mostly uh, we just need to be <clears throat> thinking boldly and imaginatively Mm. And I think uh, we just need to not be under any sort of awe of existing platforms in uh, Web3 because I think most of it is still a prototype, including our own consensus mechanism. This is such a vast field that I think the last word on this will be only uttered 20, 30 years from now. Everything is up for uh, questioning. Everything is up for a revision. Even Ethereum itself is going through so many changes. Let's take a step back. How did you move from aerospace engineering to consulting <laughs> to uh, blockchain? How has that been? So part of it was accidental. Part of it was uh, strategic. Uh, so the choice to go to IMA was driven by my desire to stay in India. <clears throat> and aerospace jobs in India back then at least were quite few. I had, the only choice was to do a PhD somewhere and then work with say NASA, Boeing or whatever. If I wanted to stay in aerospace, which I was very keen on. And if not that, then the next love for me was economics. So I said the closest I can get to that is MBA. So I went to IMA. So I went to IMA thinking I will go into consulting. So that was strategic. After a couple of years at BCG, I thought you know, this is all getting too linear. Here, essentially, now I can see now 10 years from now, I'll be a partner, sure. But it's not boring, but it's sort of too straight-jacketed. Although it was fun, I just and took a plunge in entrepreneurship. That was an accidental thing in the sense that what we chose as our domain was through some macro analysis saying this is the highest growth field, you know, emerging wealth management. And it turned out it was a good choice. We didn't end up staying as entrepreneurs for too long, but that field did explode in the next 15 years, mm -hmm. uh, personal finance and wealth management. So that was uh, accidental, but analysis driven. Then from that, I stayed in wealth and asset management for a good 10 years. But the when the Web3 revolution began, I would call it about 2015, before that it was primarily crypto. Uh, but the smart contracts and DAOs got me quite excited about this whole aspect of a very different way of doing things, not just incremental changes. Okay. So. That's how I again pivoted saying, let's do this uh, major shift. Every five years or so, I tend to switch in a big way, five or 10 years. This time it was from quant investing to blockchain. A lot of us, at least in my age, feel an urge to decide where we want to do <laughs> go right now. And uh, seeing you switching fields and trying to still discover where do you want to go in 10, 20 years down the line. So that really uh, tells me that, okay, 
देर इज इनफ टाइम टू फिगर आउट थिंग्स जस्ट गो विद फ्लो is is that correct it is so when i was your age uh, at while going into ima i knew i wanted to do consulting and out of ima i did get that and so that was like a dream job and it seemed like now i'm set right so theoretically my 22 year old self will say you know you're set for next 15 20 years at least but within 2 years of that i realized that life's too rich to get set in just one domain mm-hmm. there are trade offs just to be clear it's not straight forward to switch you actually give up some what do i call it financial gains some depth uh, it is every time you switch it's a risk but consulting in consulting people say that you get to work on different projects and different things i have been in consulting for 2 years and i also realized that's not true so what's your view uh that's the part i loved uh, and as a young uh, <coughs> professional nothing better can be done with one's time i mm-hmm. think consulting is the best thing you can do in the first 3 4 years of one's career mm-hmm. because you get to learn so many things about so many different industries and you're not committing to anything but uh, you what you trade for that breadth is depth you jack of all trades at the end of the day and you're good at this meta skill which is putting structure to ambiguity and all of that but you're on a point that tends to get repetitive you're doing the same thing for every industry okay. industry changes the client changes but your approach more or less remains the same so jump forward a few years uh, from finance to blockchain when did you first discover blockchain i would say when i realized that you can achieve consensus in a robust manner in a fraud proof manner mm-hmm. uh, without coordinating explicitly uh, to me that was and that's again bitcoin also does that that to me was the aha moment where i was watching it from a distance i didn't study it deeply enough so i just kept thinking of it as a fringe experiment for quite some time but when i studied it in depth i read the white papers i realized that this is path breaking this is very different from what we used to and this experiment aside mm-hmm. this is harbinger of something major and are you uh, uh, with a tech background or coding experience or something like that oh, so that was a good part about my last four years with uh, the quant edge fund that till 2015 i didn't code too much occasionally okay. here and there some lines of code okay uh, in 2006 i did some bit of coding but uh, very basic 15 to 19 i did quite serious coding because of you know you can't work at a quant edge fund and not code so mm-hmm. that sort of got me back in touch with python and uh, that also gave me the confidence that that converting structured thinking into a full fledged code which works mm-hmm. so i did write a fairly large po- portion of our current blockchain core mm-hmm. engine you talked about consensus we hear a lot about blockchain is solving for byzantine fault tolerance and right. uh, these kind of things in layman terms what exactly is consensus and how do you, uh, why is it important for a decentralized network the consensus is the foundation of decentralization this when, when we say decentralized what does it mean that there is no one source authority okay. so to dis- to distinguish it from centralized network let's take the example of currency notes okay right? a currency note has value because we all believe in rbi that rbi is a solid institution mm. and it's institutionally perfect and so on central organization which manages the in, manages the entire flow demand supply and accordingly okay. the flow of currency in the field so and yeah. printing and so on printing. Like keeping authentication and so on so all of that is rbi's job and we say we all trust in rbi yeah. and then the note becomes valuable so we don't need to have consensus on that because it is externally achieved So somebody says this is a 10 rupee note and we all visually see that it is indeed seems okay and that's that so you and i don't need to agree on that value of the note hmm. because that is externally told to us how does yes. that change in in sense when we remove that central authority and distribute the power among the network participants 
So uh, now let's say there are 50 people trying to deal with each other without any central currency in the picture, right? Okay. Now they will have to all agree on something to be used as a mechanism of uh, a unit of transfer. Also, who owns how much, right? So if it's uh, not, of course, it varies by what you call a unit of measure. So gold, for example, for a long period, long point of period of time in history, gold was the externally imposed consensus of sorts that it was finite, so it was valuable and so on. But when you think of it in a digital context, there is no gold to speak of. There's no finite resource that we can say, here's, you can't fake it. So that's why it is valuable. That's what gold was. Now, in case we are looking at something which is like an electronic entry, like a ledger of balances, hmm. which is what blockchains are, you have to agree that this is the correct ledger. Now, how do we agree on that? That's consensus. If everybody is going to have a say in what that is without there being a consensus, then I would say I own a billion dollars or billion bitcoins. You will say you own a billion bitcoins and all that will lose value in no time because your ledger will say you own billion bitcoins and I own 10. My ledger will say I own billion and you own 10. And we'll never agree and then the whole thing will break down. So for this to hold true, we have to have a certain degree of agreement within the group. Uh, whichever group it's using it said the 50 people are using it most precise way would be all 50 agree okay but that's uh, that is very prone to just one person saying i don't agree and breaking the whole thing down so you relax that a bit and say fine you don't want to have a consensus of 100 percent but if 51 percent people agree that this is the ledger then that is the ledger so you recently launched your own white paper about a consensus mechanism called proof of trust but there right. already exists multiple uh, consensus mechanism like proof of work proof of stake delegated proof of stake and etc etc let's first start with proof of work which is the first one to solve this right. kind of problem and quickly make our way towards other consensus and finally to proof of trust so starting yes, with proof of work how, how does that work? Sure. So proof of work is about saying that I will solve a complex mathematical puzzle hmm. which requires resource uh, and in doing so I will specify to the rest of the network the transactions that I am using to modify the previous state of the network. So there are some balances and some transactions have been submitted. I will verify them and in parallel I'll solve the puzzle and the accurate valid transactions I'll include along with the solution of the puzzle. Okay. That's proof of work. The logic here is the reason you insert the puzzle in the mix is that everybody cannot get the answer at the same time. Somebody will get lucky and get it faster than others. And it's very easy to verify if the puzzle has been solved because the solution is easy to check. They don't need to resolve the puzzle to check. Why do people say this is very energy consuming and what are the few terms? Let's also look at few terms like miners, nodes, validators, etc. Sure. So, in a 50 people network that we talked about, right? All 50 are competing with each other to solve this puzzle. Mm. The original view of uh, Satoshi, at least in my assessment, was that people will not bother building specific infrastructure for this. They'll just use their own laptop and say, I'll solve this puzzle and get the outcome and then mm. add transactions to this proof, as I call it, and then send it to the network. Okay. And others will verify that state does not require ex excessive energy, energy expenditure. But now imagine the logical huh. next step that if solving the puzzle is the only way I'm going to get a Bitcoin huh. for free, not by purchasing it, but, but just for contribution, hmm. then I can simply say I will get a better GPU or a CPU. Hmm. And then you will say, oh, I'll get even better CPU. And then it will go on, right? It's an arms race of sorts. Yeah. Uh, so has the, because it's a very brute force puzzle. There's no algorithmic elegance to it. That 
I can be smart and solve it faster. <laughs> it's just like, try one, try two, try three, try four like that. Uh, so given the brute force nature of the puzzle, at least in Bitcoin context or Ethereum context, there is only an arms race of uh, CPU speed. And that's where people, uh, the whole thing got derailed. It went into this whole, uh, my CPU is bigger than your sort of logic. And people started to pool their uh, CPUs and the whole thing went against the whole logic of decentralization. Because if you pool your mines, mm. uh, mining uh, equipment or gear, then you're centralizing the net. Basically, you are saying that uh, the main motive, the financial incentive which was provided to mine the Bitcoin, again, th- that became the killer of that particular thing. Exactly. So okay. it is slowly killing the centralized uh, de- decentralization spirit of Bitcoin because you and I can't mine Bitcoin anymore mm-hmm. using a laptop. We have to set up a heavy duty gear, and that then again becomes a logic of only rich people being able to do it. So the whole thought of saying we're decentralizing, putting power in the hands of people, is all hypocrisy. Most of it is basically that a lot of money <laughs> to start mining. So what was the next step taken uh, to reduce this energy crisis thing? So the logic then is why should we solve a stupid puzzle? Like the puzzle, puzzle was put in the picture for a very simple thing. So think of 50 people with 50 ledgers, right? Okay. They are all matching at some point of time. One of them, sorry. A ledger is just a set of transactions yeah. listed. I own X, you own Y, she owns Z, so on and so forth. And okay. in Bitcoin's case, it's very simple. It's just like person, amount, person, amount, person, amount, just like that. Okay. So that ledger, all of 50 of us have this ledger. At say at one point of time, we all agree. Now at 51st, oh, sorry, of block number 3,250, some number is next block. At that point, somebody is trying to maliciously change a transaction that happened in 2,500th block because okay. they paid somebody and they suddenly want to not pay them anymore. So if now they change in their uh, chain, that specific entry, the beauty of blockchain is that they will have to change not just that entry, they have to rehash the entire rest of the chain from that point on. And if you have proof of work uh, as the constraint, that will take so much of time and energy that it will not be worth it because the rest of the network is already moving forward in the meantime. Hmm. You can't maliciously change one entry and catch up with the rest of the network and say, look, this is the valid chain, not yours. Uh, So that confusion is impossible to create in Bitcoin. That's why it's very robust. So how does proof of stake solve this? So proof of stake is a bit uh, less strong on this front because it says that why does proof of work uh, work is because it takes 10 minutes or so to get on an average sometimes you get the answer in 10 seconds sometimes you take one hour but on an average it takes 10 minutes to solve that puzzle the difficulty of that is set as such in proof of stake since you don't take 10 minutes as in proof of stake then doesn't require that constraint you don't actually have to solve the actual puzzle and wait for 10 minutes you actually solve uh, you actually say that this is my money hmm. i'm putting locking it in if i submit a bad block Hmm. If I submit a bad transaction, then I'm okay if this stake is slashed. The network punishes me for bad submissions. Okay. Uh, so that's if, like if I escrow. behave maliciously. And so proof of stake then becomes like uh, escrow, a guarantee-driven approach to submitting blocks. So it's super fast. It consumes no energy at all because I'm not solving any puzzle now. I'm simply saying, here's my stake, and people get selected randomly to uh, mint a block. So in proof of work, nobody competes. Let me just summarize what you said. So in proof of work, there are 50 people with hundreds of ledgers uh, with them. And uh, 50, 50 people, 50 ledgers. Okay, 50 people, 50 ledgers. They want to uh, prove that, okay, what uh, they want to include valid transactions in the block. And so mm-hmm. all of them compete with their computational power. All of them compute. Yes. Uh, compete. Yes. 
and uh, one of them who f- solves the puzzle yes. the fastest he or she uh, wins and creates a new block and once he creates a new block a bitcoin or any of uh, ethereum is awarded to them along Absolutely. with the transaction fees which was there in proof right. of stake uh, people these 50 people stake some of the amount and not everyone is uh, solving for the puzzle only one right. selected fellow is uh, randomly selected fellow is solving for that puzzle is not even solving for a puzzle theoretically or i mean at least some instances of proof of stake the most common ones mm-hmm. tendermint and all you don't solve for anything you simply say since you have been selected already by the network mm-hmm. and everybody agrees that you are the person to be selected there is no need to solve any puzzle okay. you already put the money at risk by saying i behave maliciously i lose that but then it is that verified with others other validators yeah, that's verified okay other 49 people verify that verify what they are doing so that if he or she submits a bad transaction they will slash his or her stake and go back to the previous block and say let's pick the next guy who's supposed to mint it and so the cycle continues okay in proof of work you lose your chance you spend 10 minutes to solve that puzzle and you put a stupid transaction in it you have wasted your chance to earn the bitcoin that's why you won't do it in proof of stake you have the money that you could lose that's why you won't do it you will so lose the collateral so correct okay exactly and then came a delegated proof of stake uh, that's right yeah so what exactly is that one so uh, in a network so ethereum bitcoin all of them assume that there is no other currency in the world mm-hmm. and inside that uh, blockchain that's the only currency so in that assumption you essentially say that I have a network of or user base of 1000 people but all thousand are not nodes they are not all going to participate in this block minting verification etc only 100 are nodes mm. now the rest of them also still have the money mm. so as in the coin mm. so they can say that look we will give you the power to vote as in uh, we can give you stake with which you can bid for the collateral mm. uh, and uh, so it's like saying one person has the equipment and the willingness to be a node another simply and over the stake to them and so say, one has money one has net, uh, computational resources to do that thing right and bandwidth and okay. so they just sort of hand it over to you and say you do it now okay. and our vote is with you we trust you so we'll just sort of go okay. with the fact that we will lose our money if you make some uh, mistake or you behave maliciously but we, do, we don't think you will so that's that so you recently launched a white paper called proof of trust which is sort of based on proof of stake and also right. includes a very important factor called time time stamps with each of the transactions or block formation so how right. does that work and how does that solve the problems with proof of stake so there are two problems of proof of stake that we're trying to solve one is uh, proof of stake allows bad behavior to go unpunished beyond the stake slashing so i can be a malicious node once in a while i can come in try to do something uh, malicious and if it doesn't get detected i go through but let's say it gets detected i lose some stake and i continue separately with someone on your address again and put some other stake so money is the only way to then purchase the uh, so to speak ability to mint the next block so the next time that same malicious code comes it will be treated as a genuine one unless they do something bad correct okay so there is so no history that, associated okay yeah the memory awareness is missing secondly you can purchase anything with money you can purchase influence with money that's the part which is potentially creeping centralization is possible in that so theoretically mm. top uh, 20 owners of ethereum or ether mm. can potentially pool their resources together and start to influence 
the network hmm. to their liking the stake is the only mechanism of determining who gets to do what and what is which is a valid chain which is not a valid chain then the majority can easily maliciously behave and still get away with it i, I think there is a very good analogy with proof of stake like the rich gets richer in the network and the poor gets poorer that's true Okay. Because if I have a large stake, I'll also be having a higher probability of being selected for the next meeting, and so I get that reward also. And so, it is inherently inegalitarian, and I can also use smart contracts to pool pool my stake, just like people are pooling their mining rigs in proof of work. Mm-hmm. In proof of stake, also it's very simple. I can just write five, six simple lines of code in a smart contract and say. All of us can put together. Each we all each own ten percent. Five of us come together, own fifty-one percent, without handing it over to anyone. It just goes through some smart contracts, and it I can still control the network and still own the money. Mm. So then it becomes again the plutocracy that we are seeing in the capital markets okay. right now. So it doesn't solve the decentralization thing. And in proof of trust, you associate some trust factor uh, with each of the nodes. So how does that? avoids this from happening like we understand that in proof of stake there are large uh, liquidity pools and staking right. pools where smaller people come general people come add their money and these are run by huge corporations and the crucial thing we uh, do is one everybody's trust score uh, even if they have the 50 year history of good behavior on uh, the network it will be capped so your trust score cannot exceed 3.0 the minimum is minus 1 and everything between 0 and 3 so it logarithmically approaches asymptotically approaches 3.0 as you keep doing better and better submissions all mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. so if there are 100 nodes or 1000 nodes on let's say ethereum and 1000 nodes on our chain mm-hmm. in 1000 nodes of ethereum it will matter who owns how much mm-hmm. because then they can pool and uh, control the network in our chain the ownership anyway doesn't matter they just have to put the basic minimum stake for slashing that's fine but even if the 1000 all of them are or even Hundred of them are behaving very well, and they start to have high trust score vis-a-vis others. It starts to taper very quickly. Start with the trust score of zero point zero one, will gradually go to three. Mm. So even if you keep doing honest submissions, your score will remain two point nine nine, two point nine 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 anyway. Mm. It will never exceed three. So you can't say that I have been doing this for ten years. So now my I'll become the whale. So. It, We're not replacing just take with time. We're simply saying that you're also, it's also asymptotic, so it gets capped. So in steady state, you might have 500, 700, 800 of these nodes, all with a score of three. But then we all have a system which is fairly democratic because there are 800 similar people there with equal uh, power to influence the network. So collisions in that is much harder because to control the network, now we have to collude with 400 people, not just five. Okay. Cool. So that's far more democratic. But uh, here is one question: Like, since the stakes are small and anyone can join, if I create, suppose, hundreds of such stake, uh, means um, I stake like hundred times, and right. creating different smart contracts, then how can that be avoided? How? So that's where the crucial point of difference comes vis-a-vis uh, Ethereum and other chains. That we are not an anonymous chain. We don't believe yeah. in anonymity. Yeah. Identity awareness, we think, is central to the future of Web three. We think anonymous anonymous operations will be a useful subset, which people who care for anonymity will operate in that. The rest of us who don't really care for anonymity but are more more worried about privacy, there are two different things. Hmm. I want to be private, but I don't want to be anonymous. So in our chain, that's the crucial distinction that every node 
is a real person so you take something called kycs for each of the individuals and correct and it could be companies also uh, but there is a real natural or uh, legal person whose kyc is submitted and it is open to verification by the network at any point of time if there is a concern that this is a malicious uh, node so that's one check against somebody setting up hundreds of nodes right okay. because you, you you get your first submitted notes submitted with your own kyc your pan your aadhar whatever next you will go with your friend and so on so forth so th- for each of them you have to have a real person backing it because mm-hmm. in absence of that you won't actually have uh, the ability to create a node can you see the identity of a particular wallet with request with request you can request you can request for an audit if there is a requirement from the network and who is, approves that audit audit is the person the node it's node's own uh, what do you call it prerogative so, so where i'm own. where i'm going is if a government tomorrow comes and ask for tell me who is that, this individual can you do that so no one person controls that access anyway the node can say i reject that request of the government to see my uh, data mm. and that's that so the government doesn't control our chain anyway so it doesn't matter the government can't shut it down the network itself can request network meaning the network has well defined auditors who are decentralized so there are about 30 to 40 people who are themselves identifiable and uh, sort of trusted nodes if you will mm. they can vote on somebody's identity being accurate or not okay. so they all send a request to this person mm. this person can say that i don't want to be a node anymore I just don't want to submit, disclose my identity to anyone, so I'll just walk away. That's fine. And then his Noel will be able to verify who was that person, because he holds, he or she holds the private key of that. Correct. So that's okay. entirely up to them to disclose it. If they disclose it, they don't disclose it to the whole network. And these people also don't download anything. They just view it, confirm that this is a legitimate individual slash company. Hmm. what yes so they say 30 of them are voting 25 say yes 5 say no it goes through and then there is no question about that person's kyc and this is not for everyone compulsorily this is only audit triggers this is very that. interesting uh, I, i didn't get this while reading the uh, white so paper the decentralized audit in that we just said that your identity is there yeah you could uh, uh, you could authenticate using centralized servers also so we talking to a few service providers who will without downloading your data authenticate you and just say yes this is a valid person and that's that this is very uh, good in the sense that the people who are participating the network users they are benefited uh, with their privacy concerns and right. the government is benefited ki in case something bad is happening they can still have someone who uh, they can hold someone responsible for uh, doing something bad so this is a very good way of regulation i think Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is self-regulating and marrying privacy with uh, lack of anonymity. So we don't want to promote terrorist financing and you know money laundering and all that, mm-hmm. which today theoretically can happen on Bitcoin because when people they don't want to transfer loads of cash, they'll just transfer to each other Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and nobody would be any smarter for that. We want to not engage in those activities. So that's one check. Second check is that the trust score of a new node mm-hmm. is zero point zero one. So. Even if you if there are thousand nodes in the system, you come in with hundred. You got hundred friends whose KYC you are able to get, but you set up hundred nodes. You are not suddenly going to get 
Our expectation is that people have, don't have patience. The hackers don't have that sort of patience. <laughs> I quietly go through all of this. Hopefully, that that's true. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so you also talk about something very interesting called uh, verifying real-world data with proof of trust. So how does that work, and what are the use cases for that? Oh, so that's actually a very uh, interesting use case we recently came across in uh, agri commodity warehouse receipt tokenization. So you a farmer puts uh, their produce. in a warehouse and we that took warehouse the receipt they get we are tokenizing that now the question that arises is are the goods there if somebody is saying there are 40 metric tons of rice the token says that does that correspond to real world rice mm. of 40 metric tons so for that a similar decentralized audit exists where anybody can audit that token and say this token means at this warehouse at this stack 40 metric tons of a certain commodity is supposed to be there i'll go and check it I'm vaguely knowledgeable about how much space 40 metric tons take, so I'll then say that okay, this is here or not here, and so and so not one one person. This mm. is a collection of people, so 30 40 people again vote on that, and I go by the majority. So that's that's one instance of real world assets being verified through decentralized audit. How is this different from the Oracle implementation, which uh, which is there in other um, consensus mechanisms? Oracle. Oracle is similar. With Oracle, the only thing is that it is digital. What happens with Oracle is that you actually just saying price of Apple stock or price of uh, oil. You're taking it. Now it's available to everyone, but obviously every node querying the network, uh, so querying their own sources of oil price and uh, this thing will obviously create different outcomes. So I can say I'm taking Brent crude. Somebody will say I'm taking WTI. Mm. Avoid those confusions. Oracles make it constant and say, look, I'm taking this from these sources, this specific thing, and I'm going to give it to the chain so that streamlining of already public information versus in our context information which doesn't exist currently mm. uh, verifiability of fairly micro elements not uh, things like price of apple stock uh, just a random thought i don't know if this is correct or not but it seems that if there is a kyc linked to each of the validators who is validating whether the data is correct or not then it puts much higher reliability on the data which has been collected is that correct true? absolutely so the user now the this fact is that if i maliciously go and say that this convert is not there and 29 others are saying it's there then again my trust score goes down a bit so we are trying to generalize the trust score idea not only for network participation but also real life financial transaction there is a network of say 100 people mm. they all rate each other not necessarily everyone to every remaining 99 but mm. i will know 10 people So mm-hmm. I'll rate them in their my trustworthiness assessment of theirs. 
okay and then they all sort of rate each other and you can call it create a trust rank of each individual based on similar to page rank right of google yeah uh, so that's one way second is now i have set this up right and somebody comes to me to raise funds uh some uh, young person from uh, iit let's say now that's I, me absolutely <laughs> you come to raise funds because now let's say we know each other now mm-hmm. but you go to raise funds in a circle that people know me in okay so they will find out that uh, roshan is connected to sopnil with this trust score okay so and i'm connected them with a the trust score so they know that you're not a stranger they don't know you directly but there is there are three or five paths between them and you mm-hmm. uh, of moderate to high trust level so they'll say okay this is person i can uh, invest in or lend to and your behavior towards them then will set up a new connection edge in that graph between you and them and as you continue to behave well your trust score vis-a-vis them uh, their trust score vis-a-vis you sorry will improve okay. so the next person comes to you let's say you go to take a home loan after 5 years the lender which could be a bank dow doesn't have to be a formal conventional bank mm. say a protocol is evaluating your credit worthiness they'll look at your historical transactions on neural and they'll say or oh, this person has high trust scores from all these people not mm. only that he has engaged in transactions with these many people and has adhered to contracts whether repayment or dividend payment or whatever it might be and so he has a very high trust score this is really cool like a credit score for blockchains correct as i mean it's a public credit bureau of sorts for an individual which works in both ways that for my good behavior i get rewarded mm. even if it's a micro good behavior i get rewarded Mm. every good thing i do should improve my trustworthiness for the whole network mm. and every bad thing is that re- reduces it so it's a very strong deterrent against let me default any way who's going to know right like what's the uh what's the implication we want to make that also big enough so that people say let's not do this because everybody will know it's like similar to like we don't want to default on our credit card payments at <laughs> any cost so yeah just exactly. to protect our credit score it's it's a and similar fact, thing yeah we combining two things here the credits uh, part is the formal version of this but uh, if you know uh, how gujarati traders operate mm-hmm. informally in say mumbai or surat or wherever right there's a strong community they hand over loads of money to each other routinely lend borrow without any paperwork but the community is very strong so if you go you take one wrong step you get ostracized from the community because then nobody else will deal with you your name gets your standing gets uh, damaged you have a name in the society and community business community okay so yeah. formalizing that logic and saying your standing in the network goes down sharply mm-hmm. if you do bad thing to even one of them and now there are a lot of other consensus mechanism which are trying to improve the efficiency like the transaction per second or um the de- decentralization issue which is very common so uh, i don't know if you know about um shardium which was la- which has just been launched by uh, nischal uh, wazirx uh, co-founder that avalanche is trying to do a very different taking a very different approach solana is also using timestamp uh the tinder mint which you have uh, reference to that also uses timestamp so where is this entire consensus uh, um, innovation going so i think it boils down to what we referred to at the beginning of our talk right pbfd uh, practical byzantine fall tolerance tolerance yeah we have to have a consensus mechanism which is resistant to a practical degree of malicious behavior mm. by some subset of the network 
it's attack proofing the network so whichever consensus mechanism proof of work was the laziest way of doing it because you know just throw some computing power at it and it's very robust so proof of work is super robust but super expensive and it is now prone to this arms race of uh, Hmm. The computing power, you know. It was like a stepping stone, but we have come a long way from there. Quite a bit, and anyway, you don't need to waste so much energy just to achieve consensus, okay. as it is clear from all our work now. Uh, I think there will be multiple consensus mechanisms in future. So, Solana, for example, for proof of elapsed time, achieves very high transaction through. Hmm. Uh, proof of trust, for example, in our context, achieves a lot of uh, memory awareness and uh, deterrent against. Uh, actively bad behavior, uh, and uh, it's also resistant to civil attacks and fifty-one uh, percent attacks. Yes, uh, something else will solve for uh, scalability and so on. So I think depending on the use case, I don't think there is going to be one ring to rule them all, like one chain to rule them all. Uh, yeah. There'll be different chains for different type of things. I think Solana-like chains will go into the capital markets uh, use cases, where transaction throughput is important, payment use cases. Uh, Our sort of work will go into DeFi, so mainstream DeFi, where transaction throughput is not a problem. Trust is a problem. You're handling a lot of money, and there's a lot of credit risk in uh, involved. So where complexity of contracts, complexity of transactions, that's where we score much better over others. We are not competing on transaction speed as such. Shardium is an interesting experiment. Uh, we are in fact called neural for a specific reason, uh, which is similar to. Shardium. Neural is the blockchain uh, which works on proof of trust. Proof uh, of trust. Developed so by Neural is yeah. uh, so trying to emulate the architecture of human brain. Uh, so human brain doesn't produce uh, process everything at all locations inside, right? Hmm. So we see sight, it gets processed here. We see smell, it processes somewhere else. Thoughts are processed here, so on and so forth. So in Ethereum, unfortunately, everything is processed everywhere. Every hmm. transaction, every block, validation, and so on and so forth. Okay. So in Bitcoin, I mean, in proof of work, it is processed excessively because everybody is competing. In proof of stake, it is processed one times by the whole network. We want to bring that down to one by k, where k is some sort of a constant uh, growing with the network size. So it's always uh, what I what I call it 10x redundant, not thousand mm. uh, x redundant. Mm. So what I mean by that is a transaction validation, a block validation doesn't need to happen. Thousand times if there are thousand nodes, hmm. so that's what we also trying to achieve through distributed computing. So long as we can randomize things, uh, you can achieve decentralization without forcing the whole network to do it. Sharding in Ethereum two or Sharding as a chain are both trying to do this through discrete approach. Let's say, so in each two point oh, the shards one zero two four shards within Ethereum will all behave like. Subsets which are internally consistent and they coordinate to achieve global consistency. Okay. But then it's everything is processed one by one zero two four times, so it's already thousand times more efficient. But that's doing it in a step manner. Shards like thousand shards, then there'll be each shard can have thousand more shards and so on. Mm. Uh, Sharding is probably trying to generalize that a little bit more. I don't know enough about it. In neural, we're trying to keep it continuous, which is to say, I can bid for a network's time. Through my transaction fees, and if my transaction is small, I'll say fine. If ten nodes verified, that's good enough for me. Ten hmm. randomly selected nodes. Hmm. If a transaction is a million dollar transaction, I'll say I want thousand nodes to verify. I pay for it accordingly. 
So that's the missing link. Currently, Ethereum or any other chain, they force you to pay the same amount at the given point of time, irrespective of transaction size. You don't get to choose. They can only say, shall I participate? As in, shall I get included in the next block or not? Whether what my transaction is is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. We want to change that logic and say, you can say I'm a very important transaction. Ask the whole network to verify it, or you say mine is a very small transaction. I can deal with the minimum possible. Okay. So, and then solve that through distributed computing by creating paths of validation, as we call it. So, more nuance there. So, what I understood is uh, proof of trust includes a lot of things and does two wonderful things one is we although we are uh, compromising on anonymity but we are doing that in a very secure manner and unlocking a lot of great potential with that particular one small uh, compromise second we are improving the efficiency of the entire thing using this neural network sort of uh, optimized computing uh, mechanism that's if i can call it that yeah, and absolutely. It's distributed computing. Instead of uh, okay. over hyper redundancy, it is distributed and still decentralized. Okay. This is really cool. But this is for the people who are already in the ecosystem. You are uh, yourself a coder uh, or developer or programmer. Uh, but what about the people who are not uh, so familiar with um, code development side, although they know about okay the, uh, the people who are listening to this and understood, understanding these things, they know about the concepts. But right some of them might not be able to develop the code itself so how do those guys participate in this new financial revolution no i'm, I'm so glad you asked that because one of the things that we're building ourselves we're calling it a neuron app as a neuron for the size of the brain right okay uh, which is meant to enable non-coders to quickly set up DAOs, quickly uh, create uh, trust scores for each other participate in this network uh, and also being able to invest, uh, create tokens, invest in tokens, uh, buy and sell them and so on. I think uh, this uh, stacking will happen as we go along. So initially when we started Web Web 1, there was a bunch of things. Uh, everybody had to write HTML code. Mm-hmm. Then came Blogger and other such WordPress and so on, where they said, you know, basic com- templates will give you and then a nice looking page will be created for you on the fly without any codes. Uh, likewise, I think that's starting to happen in uh, Web3 world as well. We are taking up that task on the DAO front. We are creating a lot of DAO templates and smart contract templates, uh, which developers will create and earn royalty for for Mm -hmm. life. And these DAO templates can be used by anyone to set up their own specific DAO. So think of it like a blogger back then for blogs. So that's the toolbox. And you can use that to do blogging without knowing a line of HTML coding. Likewise, we want to create a stack where DAOs are uh, created by uh, people on the fly without having to uh, know the single line of code, solidity otherwise. So you feel that after 5-10 years, blockchain is the thing which will remain in the ecosystem. Is that your belief too? A collection of interconnected blockchains, I would think. Okay. But the trick here is interoperability and being not trying to be the one to rule them all. <laughs> okay. so we already set up bridges with Polygon, Ethereum, etc. Because we understand some things are better done there. That's good. So in a bunch of interconnected, high quality blockchains, uh, that's what we expect this to become. You mentioned a very good point. Like uh, there are different functions to different blockchain. Like Google is used for search, even if that's the most famous thing which we use, but for searching people, we still use LinkedIn. Exactly. So that will still be the case. I also feel the same. 
there is a lot more which i wanted to discuss but due to time no. constraint we we have to uh, I, i won't take much of your time no sir thank you so much for having me over and uh, yeah. i'll look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts again on all of this yes let's do this again in a much more depth and technical depth i hope you enjoyed our conversation yeah absolutely great thank talking you. to you thank you so thank much you. for coming that's it guys hope you liked it hope you enjoyed it hope you gained some really good information i'll keep bringing these things and i'm so grateful thankful to sopnil for coming on this show do like the video do subscribe to our channel do check out the proof of trust consensus mechanism white paper and different links in the description and uh, see you next time thank you